You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 439 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I am Stephen Seagraves, joined this week by the full crew of characters, Seth Miller and Fosma Moon. Gentlemen. Which character do I get to play? Which, whichever one you want. The one that does, the one that leaves July 4th with all 10 fingers. That's the one you get to play. Is that a problem? <laughs> you know, I, I saw a joke that's like, someone out there doesn't realize July 4th will be the last day with all 10 fingers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, my, my best plan for that is trying to, I may even go tonight after we finish recording, but probably tomorrow morning, try to grab a spot on the rooftop of the parking garage downtown. Oh, nice. Yeah. Watch your, watch pay, pay for the extra parking hours in hopes that I can actually see shit. And, and let the professionals do it? Let the professionals. And how big is downtown exactly? Hey, listen, we got like a proper six or eight blocks. Okay. Five-story parking garage. I, I, I am impressed as a parking garage. I'll give you that. Yeah. They actually, it's a surprisingly well-managed town, all things considered. This is Dover? Yeah. They have a parking garage? <laughs> for what? The downtown area? For the downtown? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. That makes more sense. I thought you were going to be like the courthouse. I'm like, how many people are going to the courthouse? Uh, yeah, the courthouse is a surface lot only. Okay. So that makes more sense. It makes me feel a little better. Uh, <laughs> they also built the police station into the parking garage, which is kind of interesting. That is super interesting. But anyways, <laughs> um, let's talk about United's continued mess. Has this resolved itself yet? Finally resolved. Are they still? <laughs> Was this a meltdown? Yes. You think so? Oh, how else could you describe it? Mess. It wasn't as bad as Southwest's meltdown at Christmas. It was actually, uh, it was pretty bad. Like my sister flew, uh, was attempting to fly on Tuesday or Monday. Didn't get out on Monday after an eight hour, like you, they just kept delaying her flight eight hours later. They finally canceled her flight. Um, rebooks to Tuesday. That flight cancels, then gets put on a connection through Columbus. Um, and actually makes that in Columbus. They actually see held the flight for her, but Still has no idea where her bags are. Couldn't get through to actually file a claim. The line was out the doors down the baggage claim. Yeah, I guess my I'm just looking at like total number of flights affected and things like that. Like, yeah, the people who got screwed absolutely got screwed. I just don't think it's. So, are you looking at cancellations or yeah? Like, okay. I mean, like what what happened to Southwest? That was like just a nuclear meltdown. This was just a meltdown. Oh, okay, so this is uh, traditional warfare, not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. This is this is no. There's no graphite on the ground here. You know. No iodine pills distributed in, in the lines of customer service. Exactly. Yeah. There's there's no professor. <laughs> so so I think it's funny. <laughs> uh, I think it's funny, Foz. Uh, you had a had a reservation, okay. um, and uh, United. You didn't fly this reservation, correct? I did not. And smartly, because you you didn't have to go where you needed to go, so you stayed home. Smart man. Um, they canceled my flight. <laughs> there were no options. So. You got compensation. Now, United sent out of this letter, you know, 30,000 miles. Um, we're sorry. Yada, yada, yada. Uh, and I sat no hair for seven hours after a cancellation. I haven't gotten anything. I think it really had to do if you touched Newark. That's kind of stupid, though. I, I'm not discounting that. Because I, I doubt you listened to the last episode where Seth and I were kind of talking about this briefly. Uh, but it, at O'Hare, the line for customer service at the B kind of like security checkpoint, you know, there's that, there's that secured, there's that, yeah. uh, uh, help area there. Yeah. Uh, it was, it went from there all the way past Frontera. 
I mean, the, the, I think the biggest concern that I have through this whole escapade is the fact that their technology stack failed and not necessarily the scheduling one, but the customer facing. one. Yeah. That was probably the most surprising because the app stopped working. I was trying to help my sister and the app just wouldn't work. The website would. Yep. And it, it's, I mean, it, to the point where it's still kind of failing for some people, right? Like we have friends that aren't able to get boarding passes and that's, 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 the, that's just normal. That's not failing. That's just normal. That's a normal AROP failure. That's not like the meltdown failure. Because I've seen that. The problem is once a reservation goes to AROPs, the app, while the app is probably the best out there of all the airlines, it still has a lot of work. Mm. Yeah. It is disturbing, though, because you couldn't do anything in the app. It would freeze up, and you basically just, you know, we're stuck. Well, and, you know, the, the irony of that is they've pushed everyone to this digital path, but the digital path just failed. Yeah, that, I mean... They made such a big deal a week prior about how comp and hotel bookings and all that other stuff was just going to be wholly digital, super easy, and then that collapsed when they needed it. That's not a great look. Yeah. yeah. And Ed and I, you know, we all know Ed, uh, we're talking about this a little bit online uh, a few days ago, and like, had you developed for, what's the peak outage that you're developing for, right? Is Was it the app that failed or the systems behind it? Probably the systems behind it. And what what are you developing for there? How many canceled flights? Was it, you know, the 20% or whatever that United actually experienced? Probably not. So that it, you know, can you scale that more quickly and more easily? Also, probably not without significant upfront investments. And oh, by the way, crew scheduling also collapsed. Yeah. I mean, the app is, I will say they do have the ability to scale it. They, there are backend systems, but um, I mean, they, they, it's written in modern stuff. Like they're using Couchbase and things like that. Um, and we know the tech. I mean, the, the irony here is that shares was just happy and dandy, uh, and the app stack is what failed. <laughs> and and to be clear, I mean, this affected not only customers but also the crew and people who work for the airline because they use it basically use the same app. Like it's it's the United app and it has some extra buttons if you log in with the crew login. Um, so it's you know that that part sucks right there. Like you need to rethink some of that to to get this to be functional in the future. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's I found the whole situation to be. I'm I'm actually glad I flew Alaska. I found the situation to be ridiculous. Um, so coming home, uh, all of the flights out of Nashville for the most part on United were delayed in some form or fashion. Um, and East Nashville had had some weather that day before as well that I was leaving, and that didn't help. So just a lot of a lot of chaos and uh, not not fun for people. Uh, let's talk about Delta's LaGuardia Transcons. Yeah, this came up a couple weeks ago, and I keep I'm forgetting to put it in the show notes. Sorry. Um, it's all your fault. It is. That's why I said that. Uh, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, Salt Lake City, and Phoenix, starting later this year. Saturday only, to get around the perimeter rule. And you may recall Spirit did a Los Angeles flight uh, a few years ago. I think it was right pre-COVID. Uh-huh. Um, and doesn't do it anymore. I... I mean, sure, great. I don't see how this becomes viable operations long term, but whatever. I mean, are they just moving planes around? Is it like repositioning of a plane? No, this is them trying to convince the Port Authority to waive the perimeter rule. This is their attempt at demonstrating that there's real demand as we have to get rid of the perimeter rule. Yep. I mean, I could maybe see it from, but don't they already have a waiver for Salt Lake City? Or is Denver the further? Okay. I could maybe see Salt Lake City. Uh, try for Haneda. Well, I mean, they could. I guess not. We're going to get to that. Sorry. Do it with the 7... I guess they don't have any 788s. So they could do it with 788. 
Um, no. Anyways, what? Could a 78 get off the ground at LaGuardia fully loaded? I think it could. Air Canada could do it in 763 to, you know, just fly an L10 11 at LaGuardia. I'm sure a 788. Yeah. Just hold, hold the brakes down, pump that engine up, and go. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, Phoenix kind of is a dig at American, right? LA once a day or once a week, once a week, it seems like that's a moot point. I mean, I guess if you're flying on Saturday, it's a cool line to get and closer to the city. I don't know. And that, that's what it comes down to is like how many people who are actually paying real money to fly are going to take on, uh, take the Saturday trip. Yeah. Yeah. When does this start? Uh, I think September. It'll run September to October and November and then December of the winter season will be here. And they'll just keep canceling and pushing everyone to, uh, to JFK. So they can they can fight the Van Wick. Exactly. Here's your delay compensation. Good luck. What do you mean you want a cab ride from JFK to LaGuardia? Vice versa. Oh, man. Um, on top of that, uh, Delta has started a strategic partnership with El Al, uh, the Israeli airline. I uh, find this fascinating. Not enough. Run. Not enough? LaGuardia's 7,000 feet and the 7.8 needs 80. But full of fuel, right? Well, it's not going to get to Haneda half tanked. Maybe you could get, I, and I'm not sure if this is minimum or maximum uh, based on whatever. Because yeah. it wouldn't need a full tank to get to Haneda. Three quarters of a tank. I don't know. But, but five eighths. Put premium in it, Bill. <laughs> five eighths. Um, so El Al and Delta hooking up, becoming partners. It's very strange. Very Not something I saw coming at all. Um, do you think this is like a direct dig at Alaska since they have the partnership with LL? So does JetBlue. Yeah. No, I think this is more that they can't, uh, they're out of the Middle East partners. Yeah. I, I think this is the only thing they've got left, right? Because the other three have already spoken for one way or another. That's but interesting. Does this, does right? this yeah, I, yeah, it's like, it's like, yeah, they already partnered up. We're going to go with the last one, you know? <laughs> and LL doesn't offer that they have talked about, I spoke to the CEO, Howdy just over a year ago now, talking about how they were planning on making Tel Aviv a connecting hub, but like, uh-uh. Well, let's not forget that Sky Team is the alliance of all the kids who were picked last. Oh, man. We're going to get some, like, Delta hardcore loyalists that write in. Thanks, boss. I cannot take credit for that. I read that on Flyer Talk <laughs> ages ago. Um, I mean, so, I mean, Delta offers an, an Atlanta, Boston, and JFK flight, right? To, to Tel Aviv? Yeah. Um, and then El Al offers, like, I think it's like LA, Miami, they have newer, they have anything else? I think that might be it. Um, Chicago sometimes maybe. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, but Fort I think Lauderdale like, oh, it's Fort Lauderdale coming. That's, yeah. They're doing a couple flights for the high holidays this September, October, and then next spring they're adding service. Interesting. More regular. Newark and JFK. Yeah. I just don't know. I, I, to me, like they don't have the connecting feed there. Like there's, where does El Al connect to out of. Tel Aviv that is beneficial to Delta or to passengers. Why? Why? Like it's a ter- the experience at Tel Aviv is not. I don't want to say unpleasant, but it's not smooth and easy like at many other airports. Which is which is why I think like it's more about the U.S. side. And reading the the Pete press release, it's it kind of reads that way. Like working closely with with El Al will further strengthen Delta's connection to Israel by offering more customers unrivaled access to destinations across the U.S. They don't mention anything. Um, about connections yeah. beyond Tel Aviv. Yeah. 
which is fair. And so then it becomes a question of like, I mean, more code share, frequent flyer, reciprocity, whatever. I It's hard not to see this as benefiting Delta more than, well, it benefits the airlines. Fund. I'm not sure which passengers really benefit, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Also, the picture in the press releases of an LL plane over San Francisco, which I don't think they fly there, but okay. Um, anyway, uh, maybe they do. I just think that's, yeah, they do. I don't know. I'm looking, but, <laughs> um, yeah, I think you're right. It, it definitely benefits Delta more than LL. Yeah. I mean, like, is Delta really going to feed passengers onto LL metal at any of those gateways? Maybe I'm trying to think, like looking at the list of service LA, maybe Miami, you know, JFK, possibly. But Delta has its own at JFK. Is the front. Like, yeah, more is more. I get it. But I think the LA one is important, right? Um, just because that's West Coast and they can, they can they feed a lot into the yeah. West Coast. I mean, there's there's a lot of Boston, stuff. Newark, JFK, LA, and Miami for Q1 of 2024 is LL's gateways. Okay. Oh, so they can. Maybe this is really about the competition at the airports. Um, it's a real interesting. The Fort Lauderdale flight does not show up. I mean, they both they both fly at Boston and JFK. Do you think they nix one of those? Like one of them takes a hit? I don't think. I, I doubt that they get the joint venture-ish. What I, well, mm. I said they're applying for joint venture-ish approval for coordination of scheduling. So I'm not sure that mm. would be kosher. Gotcha. Um, to use a terrible, terrible. That was that was a good pun. I got it. it was, there. Um, <laughs> sorry. I mean, oh God, we're gonna get so much feedback. You said three. Anyways, <laughs> in other Delta idiocy, um, not so much with NATO flexibility. Yeah. So what's what's going on here? They're, they've been told uh, not going to happen. Not going to happen. Delta had asked the DOT for permission to be flexible about its gateways on Haneda access. So Delta has the most access to Haneda of any U.S. carrier, um, seven markets, and two of them are not operating currently. Those be a Honolulu and Portland. Yep. And Delta was has been pretty clear based on that that they don't want to operate them because they don't think that financially in the you know, new world order, post COVID, whatever you want to call it, that they that those routes are as financially viable, but they don't want to give up the slots. And so they asked uh, the DOT to let them just, you know, for a few years try this out and see if it works, knowing full well that if they got it started, it would certainly stick around. Mm-hmm. And United objected, saying, you know, we have routes that were previously applied for under the formal process that we would still have support to run. And we think those would be better usage rather than doubling up there, which is essentially what Delta was likely to do, you know, add another LA and Atlanta, if I had to guess, or JFK. Um, And we want to follow the rules and American supported and Hawaiian both supported Delta's position. Uh, The DOT did not. The DOT basically said, we get to make this decision. This is our special place to rule and you can suck it they, well they also added some verbiage around like you know this isn't in the best interest of the consumer right this this is benefiting this is clearly for the benefit yes and united tried to play that angle as well um specifically around and the dot was clear about this back in 2019 when the slots were allocated or the route authorities were allocated that multiple gateways was perceived to be better because more people would be closer to non-stop flights and so does the American public benefit more from Guam having a flight to Tokyo's Haneda than Atlanta getting two? Tough argument to make there, honestly. Houston, I sort of see Guam is pretty hysterical to me, but uh, 
there you go. But from from the perspective of like Hawaii, why? Uh, two questions: Why would American and Hawaiian not? Would they be okay with this? Is it simply because they like Hawaiian wants to see them leave the Honolulu Haneda market? Yeah. Um, and secondly, wouldn't I? I would think as Delta that market is coming back, right? Like it's it's already kind of coming back. The Japanese tourism market is is slowly reviving. So, outbound, so th- yeah, that market is very much Japanese origination. Yep, and it hasn't rebounded quite as fast as some of the others. The yeah, but also Delta was using statistics from prior to when the uh, rules in Japan changed, trying to justify its position. And you know, lies, damn lies, and statistics. It's like trying to make a go of things using questionable data. I always get a little annoyed at. Yeah. Anyway, Delta lost, United won, uh, and then United had a conventional warfare meltdown and uh, operate flights out of the, United, in the northeastern United States for about a week. So, so what do you think? Uh, what do you think Delta does with Portland? Are they going to continue to jack up the price so no one buys it, and they can justify this in the later? Well, I don't think there's anything else to justify, unfortunately. So that's the other part. And then Delta, United pointed out is that right now United is selling tickets round trip for or excuse me, Delta selling tickets round trip Portland to Haneda on the nonstop in October. In November, when it's supposed to resume service, for just over ten thousand dollars in coach. Yeah, it's down to six k now, but oh, still. steel. Yeah, so that's you know demonstrating that there's you know some flexibility in the market. I I mean, it's not. I mean, do you think they just give up the slot? I can't imagine they give up the slot. If they're not making money, at some point they're going to give up the slot. If they're not going to be able to. Then who does it go to? You think? Goes back for allocation. Yeah. So then everybody bids on it, and yeah, it goes to a different. A different hub, basically. Yeah, I'm still seeing eleven thousand round trips. So. Oh, okay. Well, maybe I just looked at it wrong. We got a one way. Maybe. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Cool times. Uh. Oh, I get it to twelve five if I do a same day turn. Ooh. Anyway. Um. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what Delta does on that one. Uh. They have until October first to decide if they want to give back the slot without pissing off the DOT. Why? So the, the hard part would be is if they give it back. On October 1st, it will be nearly impossible for anyone to get, you know, it's going to take time for the allocation process to happen, whatever. Being able to start service on the 28th, which is when the season switches, is there's no way. Yeah. And United requested that the DOT begin an immediate reallocation hearing proceeding, knowing that Delta was likely to not keep it. And the DOT told them to settle down and go sit back down. (laughs) I would argue that United could start Guam Haneda very quickly. Yeah, but it won't get allocated that fast. Just the the process of holding, like filing the papers and having the review and all that other stuff, and then the tentative announcement, and then they have to wait a certain number of days before it becomes final. You can't that quickly, right? But they might just say whoever can start the service fastest. I'm sure. I'm sure United would make the argument that they're willing to start as soon as it's available, and not you know, typically you get like a 90 day grace period after it's announced to get things sort of sorted. Um, they also have to negotiate with Haneda for the timing on the slots and everything. So it's not just about the airline. No, you don't just use the same slots, uh, the same slots that they have? Uh, maybe, but I don't know what the times are on the Delta ones and if those would work to Guam and all sorts of other things. Huh. Yeah, I, I, I think it, the interesting part of the Guam one is they could probably just push the 777 that they already use from, what is it, San Francisco that they're doing service from right now? Or hell, they can use one of the 738s so at least get it started. That's true. They have a bunch of them that sit out there, yeah. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, tell me about uh, Toronto uh, Billy Bishop preclearance. It's coming, twenty twenty five. 
Is this is this going to be on the boat on your way out to the island? Or? <laughs> Separate ferry terminal? <laughs> no. Uh, after you clear the other bits, but they are in the government is investing. I think thirty million in construction to help build this out. So they'll do this, but not have jets. Got it. Well, you still can't have jets. I know. That's uh, yeah. It's the this dates back to an agreement, if I remember correctly, signed in like 2013 huh. between the U.S. and Canadian governments. And it's help. I mean, it's good news. I think more preclearance is a good thing. Uh, 2016, excuse me, not 2013. So it's almost a decade from when the agreement was announced to when this will actually happen. Um, many other airports have similarly announced intentions to try to get preclearance added. I want to say like Oslo or Copenhagen, Amsterdam, a bunch of places were keen to it and nothing happened. Hmm. Or no, we haven't seen any real progress at any of those. Obviously, COVID in the way, but yeah, it's interesting that this though looks like it might really happen. I don't think how much I'm sure it would be in Amsterdam. You basically <laughs> need a separate pier. Yeah, but like each, already this already the security is bad. You yeah. know, like I in some ways, because of the way they have their peers set up, it you could almost like for a certain number of hours a day just dedicate one of them. But I, I've been through the sort of backroom side of those facilities with the CDP on like you know tours, and once or twice getting set to secondary. Um, but even after getting set to secondary, that's the secondary is easy. It's the tertiary and beyond where they have like a jail cell in the back and other things like that. Uh, it's there's more to it than you might think. And so the infrastructure build out, you know, if they think they can get it for 30 million, that's actually pretty impressive. I mean, the thing that concerns me pretty particular about Billy Bishop is the problem with Billy Bishop. Billy Bishop is an awesome airport. There's no doubt, except when there's weather. Hmm. Everything falls apart. There isn't enough space to stand. Um, last time I flew, I tried to fly out of Billy Bishop was a few years ago, pre-COVID. Like people were sitting on the stairs and then getting yelled at because you couldn't sit on the stairs because yeah. there's nowhere else to go. So that's the one challenge I have. So you got to like Dublin preclearance area. Yes. Yeah, so not as, but it's much worse because it's a much, much smaller area. There's a lot yeah. more people and they stack up. But the bigger issue is particularly if you're not playing Porter and you're flying Air Canada and you get rebooked out of Pearson, just getting back out is going to be a pain. Well, that could be an issue on Porter now also because they fly out of Pearson with the 195 E2s. But they don't fly to the same places as they fly. They don't bring the E2s across the border yet because they they are running the E2s as part of a separate airline. It's like mm-hmm. regional versus not, but you know that idea, they've actually created a second airline to handle the E2s, and that airline does not have permission to fly to the United States yet. There, and they, I've, that application went in, there's a code share thing associated with it, so they can sell them right now, but they can't run them across the border yet. So they can, but you can sell an onward connection on, if I remember correctly, using the code share. So yeah, that's part of why that is. It's coming. It's actually surprising to me it's taken this long. I wonder if people are, uh, I don't know, maybe objecting to the way they're getting pilots or something like that. That's been a problem with a lot of airlines flying to the United States of late, foreign airlines yeah. over the years. But yeah, I listen, if it works, it's great. I think this is good for Billy Bishop. It's good for allowing service to a bunch more U.S. airports. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, one of the many reasons that Porter flies to Newark is because it has CBP. They can't fly to LaGuardia. Well, with this done, they could switch to LaGuardia so they can get slots. Oh man, you're gonna you're gonna make Foz his head explode. Another some Q400s at at, at LaGuardia, more Q400s. He's gonna be like, come on, it's all LaGuardia's fault. 
I, I, I come on. I think it'd be hysterical if at some point your kind of loses his slots to Porter. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think it's, I think it's cool. I think it's cool for travelers to have the option to come in the United States domestically. Um, they, and, yeah. Yes. I was going to say the one thing I would add is it changes the timing on the other side, right? You can't show up half hour before your flight. Now you've got to budget the CBP time. Yeah. I mean, do you think they'll build out? I mean, as part of this, they could build out some more of the airport to, to address FAZA's problem. Yeah, there has, they have to, right? They're like, again, right? They have to build physical space to process people and have all the backwards stuff. So, yeah. and then somewhere for all those people to wait for boarding and all the other stuff. Yeah. So, it's, I mean, again, though, I don't know what, I'm wondering what you can get for 30 million uh, Canadian dollars in, a, in an area building on an airport grounds with zero, like, it's on an island, right? You can't just, like, roll over out into the water. Well, what they haven't told you is it's actually going to be a ferry. <laughs> we process. That's what I'm telling you. Is like you process you process you on the ferry, or in the tunnel, like they build it into the tunnel. Yeah. Waiting area. <laughs> the waiting area will be a ferry. Yeah. <laughs> well, folks, we're a little delayed. Uh, the outbound ferry has not cleared the gate yet. Or, <laughs> or the waiting area could be the park across on the other island. There you go. Yes, I like it. Um, what else we got? We've got. Uh, some stuff going on with the uh, LaGuardia. Speaking oh. of New York, yeah, this is stupid. Uh, <laughs> so the uh, what's called the wrong way air train to the subway got canceled. Yep, uh, at LaGuardia, and the new idea is to spend like eight years and five hundred million dollars to sort of create a bus lane and some electric buses. Okay, five hundred million dollars. And years. Uh, but Bergamo outside Milan, which is where I remember Ryanair calls that it's Milan Airport. Yeah. Um, it's a little out of, out east of town. Uh, is gonna, they're gonna, the government there is spending 120 million euros and putting in full rail service into downtown. Huh. So, you know, yay. MTA is amazing with the usage of funds. Is that what we're, yeah. it, and like, coming up with a plan that can actually be feasible for service at an airport do i mean where was it it's like if the 500 million covered buying all the buses maybe it sort of almost could make sense but i don't know stupid i don't i remember reading one of the problems with these electric buses and i remember reading um an article a while back what do you think the average lifespan of a new york city non-electric bus is probably seven years Uh, let's do miles miles oh two hundred thousand miles Higher or lower? Much higher. 500,000. A million. Dang. What's the, life, what's the lifespan of an electric bus? Probably 100,000 miles. Under 300. So now every the, the, you've accelerated the refresh cycle by th- over 3x. That problem eventually will work itself out. I mean, it'll be years, but it'll it'll eventually work itself out with the draining and stuff of batteries. That 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 will happen, but I get your point. I'm just trying to figure out where they're going to actually put this. Like, where Are they just going to use the Grand Central Parkway? Or is it going to run on like surface streets? No, they're going to use the Grand Central and the BQE. Uh, part of it is like setting up signage so that during rush hour they can run on the shoulder. Oh, that that that'll work great. Yeah. What's going to happen to the people who already drive on the shoulder? Well, you know. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Maybe they'll fit these buses with the same cameras that they're putting on the express lanes in Manhattan, so they can issue tickets. Uh, yeah. From the buses. But I don't know, five hundred million. That's a that's a big number. It's all no, the, the the amount of money they're spending and what they're getting for it is is bullshit. Yeah, but yeah. um, 
And then the TSA set a travel record uh, this past Friday. So that would have been, was that uh, June 30th? Sure. Um, and it was 2,883,595 people through security, beating, through security checkpoints, beating the previous travel record of 2019. Uh, that was the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Yeah. Kind of kind of crazy. You know, an extra 600 and whatever, 700 people makes a difference. That's, But it's still crazy to me that like, we're beating 2019 numbers now. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've been to an airport. It makes sense. Uh, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> I it was a uh, it was when I was coming back through Nashville. I was coming out of Nashville. There's a Starbucks in the the gates used by Delta, uh, United, and um, Alaska. There's a in the central kind of area there. It it had to have been a 35 minute wait just to get to the line. And I was like, I don't need coffee that bad. I'm good. So, I forgot that. I meant to ask you, how was the uh, security checkpoint? Uh, pretty quick. I went through clear. I probably didn't need to. Um, it took me five minutes to okay. go through. You know what's weird is they use the new X-ray machines, um, the ones that are supposed to be enhanced or whatever. The tube, or whatever. Yeah, it's like the tube-looking ones, so but they not, don't. You're not supposed to, have to take your liquids out, right? Yeah, and but they don't use they don't use the same system as like Newark does, where you like stand in one place, like you line up four people and you push the mm. the uh, trays, you know, forward. Okay. Yeah. So it's weird to me, like only so, so many people can go through it at, at a time. It's so it's, so very, single, it's like single feed, but it's the better machine. Yeah, it's better relative because it's slower. Yeah, I, and it does take longer. Like it seemed like because it's that's still automated, right? Like when it goes through, it sits there and waits for a second, and then if it passes, you know, it goes straight. If it doesn't pass, it gets knocked over to the the side where it can be yeah. screened again by a person. I just thought it was weird that they didn't put four people up. Like everyone's adopting that system, right? Where four people come up and yeah, put the bins up together. And, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, obviously, there's in theory they had space for it, right? They had space yeah. to do whatever they wanted because it's all new. But yeah, it is surprising. Um, overall though, it looked, it seemed like it was moving. Some of my coworkers who got there a little bit earlier than me said it was, it was about a 25 minute wait for regular security, um, when they went through, which isn't terrible, but not great either. Yeah. So, um, Boeing is saying that 90% of maxes are back in China. Back in service. Yeah. So very quietly, that n- number of planes returned to service has come back. Still no new deliveries though. Yeah. I flew over, I flew over Boeing field on the way into SeaTac and it was definitely a lot of maxes sitting down there. I didn't realize the Max needed the tail uh, uh, support. Yeah. Like the knives? Yeah. I thought they would have figured that out. <laughs> they did figure it out, Stephen. They put a tail post up. Oh, it's <laughs> true. Yeah. That, I mean, do you know how much effort they would have had to do to re-engineer the entire plane to change the weight balance? But I thought I thought that it sat different. The Max sat different because of well, the engines. Well, yeah. It does, but there's still a center of gravity problem. Yeah. True. And we know sure. the whole reason we have the Max is because they didn't want to re-engineer the plane. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair. Okay, calm down, Foz. Forward, Foz. This is great. Uh, any, anything else you guys want to talk about? We got some cool topics uh, in the bonus episode for our Patreon subscribers. We're going to talk about some daytime flights, transatlantic, some new ones. Uh, Global getting some new A380s and uh, this this triple seven partners being a mess. We'll talk about that as well for the Patreon subscribers. So stick around for that. Otherwise, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting the show. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll talk to you next time. Happy travels. Bye bye.